We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, welcome back to another episode here on Setting the Pace. And Fachi is not able to join us today because he is at home watching the Wizards, but joining me for the first time this year and a longtime friend of the show, the one and only Tyler Smith from Indie Sports Legends. Tyler, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I mean, last night's game, it would have been a really fun podcast to record right after the game because of how Back and forth it was, and the Pacers ended up falling in overtime, 129 to 126 to the Philadelphia 76ers, taking them to a 21 and 18 record. Still a pretty good record, you know, but that would have been a big win for the for the blue and gold because the Sixers are right ahead of them in the standings. But Tyler, let's let's just get your thoughts on how this game kind of ended. I think that's the big talking point here. The fourth quarter, the comeback, the the turnovers late. Just talk to me about it. Yeah, what is it? The uh the anchorman line, I'm in a glass cage of emotion. That was kind <laughs> of uh I mean, there were so many range of emotions in that game because on one hand, for a while it looked like they were, you know, for sure lost. They couldn't guard anybody, even with uh Joel Embiid out. And then once again, this big comeback. You know, this team is a ton of fun to watch when they get going, and you just get the sense that they're really very rarely out of any game. So to make this big comeback. And then to have a four-point lead with the ball, 40 seconds to go, to not, you know, to not get the win in that scenario is pretty tough. Um, careless turnovers, uh, some rough officiating late, especially in overtime. We actually just saw the the two-minute report finally come out, uh, which is not great, of course. How many um, fouls did it say they missed? I think it said two or three on the Philly side, one on the Pacer side. Uh, they were claiming, I think, that the Harden uh, block was legal, um, but they uh, okay, <laughs> but but they yeah. So that was that was an interesting one, but uh, they said uh, at least foul two thousand Harden and one on Harrell. I think 
um, is what I read recently. So, but pretty crazy to to see all of that kind of happen in one game, a range of emotions. And uh, that was, that was Pacer fans last night. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I try not to get too worried about fouls. I thought, I think somebody was complaining about a foul with James Harden at the end of regulation on Halliburton at the end. I don't really think that was a foul, but it was just interesting because the Pacers continued and continued to attack James Harden the entire overtime. And they had him beat quite a few times off the dribble, but it's really hard to get fouls called against superstars, former MVPs of the league. So you kind of, you know, pick your poison there going after that guy. But, you know, they should have won this game at the end of the fourth quarter. I think just a careless mistake by Andrew Nimhard kind of being lackadaisical with the ball with Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese probably took some of the blame as well there. But Tyrese Max was able to blitz that that pass and, and get a wide-open layup. And then, you know, Harden got the steal on Halliburton, and they were able to tie the game up with a Tobias Harris tip in after a missed shot by Maxi, And that was because Turner was the only one back there to defend. So, I mean, everybody that watched the game last night, you know what happens. It's just the overtime, you know, Matherin had such a good fourth quarter. Buddy Hill had some big shots in that fourth quarter, cut it down to one uh, with one of his threes. But going into overtime, you know, they were kind of playing through Matherin. And they were trying to attack James Harden. Like Tyler just said, you know, a couple foul calls that didn't call that they could have called. And I really think that does change the trajectory of the game. But one of the bigger talking points was, to me anyway, the end of the game and how it ended. The Pacers down three. Philadelphia immediately fouls. I think it was Benedict Matherin when he got the ball in uh, on the first out-of-bounds play that the Pacers tried to run there at the end. So now we know the Sixers are going to foul. Buddy Heald immediately catches the ball and just shoots it (laughs) at the basket without even really looking at the basket, trying to avoid getting fouled. And there was still about three seconds left, I think, once the ball was actually released. And so for me personally, I hated that. But I'm curious your thoughts, Tyler, on how that whole thing ended there. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I know, you know, we've seen even recently with uh, Luca's magic and uh, Donovan Mitchell successfully, you know, missing a, a free throw, getting it back, putting it in. So, um, but I, I think from a from Buddy Heald and the Pacer standpoint, I don't love the, you know, the quick shot i mean especially as you said with three plus seconds left if they were to foul you know you still give yourself a chance i think a lot of guys on those last shots they also just kind of flail and fall down and i've never liked that i mean you go back and watch so many games where the last shot even if they're not trying to draw a foul they just like their natural instinct is to fall down and and flail the shot when you could really just rise up and, and get a better look so unfortunately they put themselves in that position i think uh Maybe a little bit too much ISO ball in overtime, but I still was mostly okay with it because of how Matherin was playing and, and the chance to, you know, chance to close. You know, he hasn't had a ton of those opportunities, and I think we got a little glimpse of the future um, with what he's capable of as well. Yeah, I mean, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well last night. I think he was 0-2 from three, just 5 of 15 from the field, so didn't have great efficiency numbers, but he got to the free throw line, which he does at a great rate. He got 9 of 10 free throws, which is big because – we know that he's a really good free throw shooter, and he's also good at you know drawing fouls. So I didn't have a problem with him going to him, but when you're not getting foul calls in overtime, it's kind of tough to continue to go through him. But at the same time, like you said, isolation, that's not something they do a lot of, and they did it really towards the end of the fourth quarter and mostly in overtime. And you know, I just kind of feel like they got out of their rhythm. And believe it or not, I thought Aaron Neesmith had some really nice offensive shooting moments in this game was one of the only guys hitting there for a while from three. 
I wouldn't have been upset if they would have put him back in the game. I don't know who they would have put him in for. Maybe Nimhard, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Mather in there, just give him a break or something. I don't know, but I felt like they could have used him out there just a little bit because defensively he's so good. But they had a they had a unit that was clicking, and and that last second shot, I totally agree with you. I understand people are like, well, if he gathers to shoot, they're gonna foul him. Well, that's fine. I would rather him have a chance to make one free throw, miss the other, and and, and try to make a live ball play than. Really, I think the worst problem is when you when you are afraid of them fouling you and you shoot quick like that, you're playing into the defense's hand right there, Tyler. And yep. you can you can you know talk to me about this a little bit, but to me it's like okay, well I'm just gonna throw this ball up here real quick, not a, not get a good look. They don't end up fouling you at all, and the game's over because you were so worried about getting fouled. If you just catch the ball, take a dribble, and go up into your shot, maybe they actually foul you when you're going to shoot. Maybe they call it on the floor, you get two free throws, you make one, you miss the other, try to get a tip in. I mean, it's just crazy. We've already seen two of those happen within like the last week and a half. So why not just try something similar? Uh, you know, I'm not mad about the loss, not mad that they that Buddy Hill took that shot. I understood why he did it. I just feel like there was a better option there. And I don't want to overtalk that point, but I just hate when teams feel like they have to heave a shot to avoid getting fouled instead of just you know, playing it out and, and seeing how that goes. Yeah. And my thing too, is when a team has a foul to give and they take that foul, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean this is what they're going to do. Like they know we've got a foul to give. So we're going to run another second or two off the clock. And if it's put in their mind that this is what we're going to do, then, you know, you get a terrible shot like that was. And I know a lot of coaches at, at every level that are terrified of their team fouling on a three-point shot. So there's a lot of coaches out there that will say, we're not fouling. Like, we'll take the foul to give, um, you know, to make them have to force something up as they did. But um, the other thing is I don't like when any player has to, you know, basically take a shot they would never take otherwise. I mean, you can understand it if there's 0.4, 0.5 seconds left on the clock and you have to do something out of the ordinary. But when you've got a little bit of time, uh, you know, do what you've practiced. I know he's capable of making lots of, you know, different style of three-point shots. Um, but, you know, it's, that's probably not something that he's practiced a whole lot, just the the heave uh, from deep like that. Yeah, and that, and that's just a tough spot because he he missed a tough shot too to, you know, in regulation as well. I think he took like a, what was it, a floater, and it just kind of went over the rim. It's just not a great look. But, you know, overall, I mean, this was a, a good experience for the Pacers to be in this moment. I think Valley Sports did a great job kind of capturing Ben Matherin's emotions after the loss. They're visibly frustrated with, you know, the way the game ended, not getting the foul calls. And you can just kind of tell maybe this one's going to sit with them for a little while and give them some motivation moving forward. But overall, I mean, the Pacers, they, they had a lead a little bit in the second half, but not for very long. And the Sixers came back strong. And the Pacers making this a game in the fourth quarter to me was super impressive. I, I've really been impressed with the bench overall this season. I think that they've made some nice uh, tweaks to it by putting Jalen Smith on the bench. And I, I thought he had a terrific game last night, Tyler. 17 points, six rebounds in just 15 minutes. Very effective. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where we're starting to see why Jalen Smith is probably better served as a center instead of a power forward. And I think the Pacers are better off as a team playing smaller and more up-tempo with one big instead of two bigs in the starting lineup. Yeah, that's really kind of changed changed the tide a little bit. And uh, Jalen Smith, the last couple of games, has really, really been playing well. So that's good to see. It's a good problem to have when you got guys like Isaiah Jackson, who, 
you know, now playing in the, in the, the G league a little bit. Um, but it's, it's a good thing to have. And, and when you have other guys that have played well, Neesmith, Nimhard, that goes back to even a, a different topic of, you know, a lot of fans that want Matherin to close every night, understandably so, but you can't really argue with some of these other guys, the way they've closed out games, like mm-hmm. o- outside of last night, they've really uh, done a good job uh, putting games away and, and getting the job done um, in crunch time. So it's good to see. It's another guy, you know, Jalen Smith, who's, you know, signed through next year, who is uh, hoping to play his way into, you know, the, the long haul uh, role here. So um, wasn't sure how it was going to work out at first when you got a guy that was kind of promised a starting spot, goes to the bench and maybe the first couple of games uh, didn't play well. I, you know, the first couple of games this year that he played five, he didn't look very well. And they talked about, you know, not sure if he's more of a four or five, um, but hopefully he keeps this up and finds consistency because if he does, uh, that's going to be a nice luxury for the Pacers to have. Yeah, I mean, we we saw how they had to play Isaiah Jackson with them when Miles was out at the beginning of the season, and you saw Goga getting some more minutes off the bench. And you know, I will say this: Goga really doesn't look as bad as people make him out to be when he gets consistent minutes. But that's besides the point. So last night, you know, James Harden was just a problem for the Pacers. They had ended up double, double teaming him, trying to force him to do different things. Tobias Harris, I think he always plays pretty well against the Pacers for whatever reason. And and you know Maxie and Melton they had their their moments and Harold just killed him off the bench. I mean that was a guy that really could have been an X factor. I think he's a guy that every Pacer fan probably hates after that game just by how annoying he is <laughs> during the game. I mean he doesn't think he fouls ever, Tyler. So like yeah. you know there was some times I think there was one where he like body checked somebody on a three point <laughs> shot and he was like yelling about I didn't touch him. I'm like are you kidding me? just knock the guy to the ground like it was pretty yeah. obvious so uh you know he's one of those guys that i just find rather annoying to watch play but you know he he was very forceful last night very impactful but no Joel and beat in this game and i'm just curious your thoughts obviously philly is still a good talented roster without him but does this one sting a little bit more knowing that they didn't have Joel and beat and we still lost by three you know kind of back to my first comment a wide range of emotions even a day later because again the way the Pacers have kind of overachieved this year it's almost like you're happy that they're even in a position halfway through the season where there is a loss that stings because you didn't really think that would be the case so even in a disappointing loss where they had them and you know Embiid is out and they got a four-point lead late it's hard for me to even think you know to be that upset because of the effort because of uh, the lessons learned because of things you can just kind of foresee happening with Matherin and with some of these guys, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough loss, but I also feel like, you know, they come home on Friday and my, my thought is they're going to, you know, Portland's going to, uh, they're going to make it hurt for the trailblazers. You no, know, who knows what'll <laughs> happen, but Philadelphia, even without Embiid, I mean, they're such a good team at home. They got one of the biggest, you know, home road splits. Um, actually, they're they're doing okay on the road, but 16 and five mm. at home. I can't remember how many in a row uh, that I heard they had won there, but um, they still got a really good team even without Joel. So uh, I think it's it's a disappointing loss that does sting, but there's also so many positives I think that came from it. Yeah, and I believe this was the Pacers' first overtime game of the season as well. So yep. it's a good experience, obviously not the result that you wanted, but. Looking at this Pacers team from the beginning of the season, I think every fan would have been happy with this loss, right? Yeah. Very entertaining game, took it to overtime, had a chance to win it at the end, lost by three, you know, but hey, you know, we're showing development and we're getting a better draft pick. Now, with the way the record is, 21 and 18, 
I think everybody's just really excited. Like we got to get more wins. Philadelphia was, you know, one seat ahead of them. And it's just kind of funny how the fan base has shifted their mindset on how they view this team. And I think that while we probably were a little bit too pessimistic, especially me and Fachi on what this team was going to be coming into the season, I think I think a lot of the time when we made that prediction, we thought Miles and or Buddy was both going to be traded. And I think you can make the case that they would be a very different team and probably a much worse team without those two guys. So they've really stepped up their game this year. I, I think looking at the game last night, it's really hard for me to give a player of the game from the Pacers too, but I'm curious if there was one guy that you would say this guy was definitely the player of the game, uh, who would you give it to? Oh, that's a tough one. I would probably lean towards Miles. Um, man, that's tough. I'm even looking at the box score now, and he didn't he have huge... five blocks. Five yeah, blocks. He, huge. Yeah, did, didn't have huge numbers, fourteen and eight. But the you know the the timing of the blocks yeah. um, was huge, and I think. A lot of the guys that that he's going up against. I mean, obviously, you can go with never go wrong with Halliburton with the double double, sixteen and yeah. twelve, and then uh, you know you mentioned Jalen Smith with and and I'm actually kind of surprised to see that he did did that all in fifteen minutes, seventeen yeah. points, six <laughs> boards, fifteen minutes. That's getting it done. So um, can't really go wrong with any of those guys. Yeah, and, you know, it... I had a I had a oh. tweet getting ready to send out if the Pacers won. Um, obviously, wasn't able to send it, so I'm going to save it, but. <laughs> If the Pacers were to hold on to that game, that was going to be their 10th win of the season when trailing by 10 or more points. Oh, wow. And so as it stands, they're 9-15 and 15 when they trail by 10, which is still a good record because they've only lost four games in which they've led by 10 or more points. I think they're like 16-4 and four when they lead by 10. So that's a good combination. You'd obviously like to not be trailing by 10 in so many games, but it's a good combination when you're fully capable of making these comebacks, but you're also solid at holding your own leads. So uh, more, more good signs for this team. Yeah. I really love that stat. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty telling of who this Pacers team has become throughout the season. They've given us a lot of great moments in the fourth quarter and we're just not used to disappointment, right? We're used to them overcoming At least it feels that way recently. And I've been really impressed. I felt like, now this is just me. I felt like Halliburton could have been more dominant trying to take over the game late. Felt like he was, not as, you know, dominant as we saw maybe against the Clippers and that kind of thing. And maybe I'm just being spoiled here by watching Tyrese take over, you know, late in games, the last few games before this one. But was there anything that you noticed from Philadelphia that they were doing defensively to give us problems? Uh, nothing nothing crazy. I mean, they still, you know, they put up 120 points in regulation. Um, I think they they shot 36% from three. They got to the line a lot. Um, I think occasionally, very, very occasionally when Halliburton is not hitting a bunch of threes, he was two for seven for the game. Um, occasionally when he's not hitting those, he gets maybe a little bit more passive. But you're right, from that recent homestand when he was, you know, the closer basically every night, you know, it's kind of kind of what was expected. But um, and you also mentioned when when uh, Matherin had it going, so maybe he was uh, just right. trying to to go that route. But um, yeah, I, I didn't see anything too difficult uh, from Philly's side, uh, despite, you know, James Harden's comments about locking down. Sure. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if you look at the stats here on uh, the team stats and just compare them to each other, this is a very close game statistically. Like you said, percentage wise, everything was pretty close. Rebounds are pretty close. The assists, the Pacers had seven more assists than the, than the, the 76ers did. We had 14 more fast break points. We had the same amount of points in the paint. I really think 
it all just came down to, in my opinion, I thought Philadelphia had a, did a good job with their zone at times against the Pacers. And it, it caused us to get some bad looks there early in the second quarter. And then when they finally started hitting some threes, it kind of helped get, you know, get that thing going. And there was more cutting involved. I think we saw some nice stuff from O'Shea get a nice cut there. And, you know, Jalen was doing pretty uh, nice things there in the middle, but before, on a couple of possessions, it was looking like the zone was going to give them some problems, and I was getting a little bit worried, but ultimately I was really happy they were able to break free from that. I thought Neesmith played a good game, even though he played limited minutes because he got in some early foul trouble. I thought Nimhart had a good start to the game and then just kind of cooled off. Um, but yeah, th- this was a game where you just look at it and you go, okay, this is where this Pacers team is at altogether. I think that they are a fun, exciting team, and they could win on any given night. But at the same time, you can still tell where they do lack some talent against the upper echelon teams of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I agree. And it's, uh, you know, I think they are, uh, what's the phrase, appointment, uh, must see TV, yeah. yeah, appointment television. They, I mean, it's just one of those things where, uh, and you know, what we suffered through the last couple of years, it's like every single night, you just, you just can't wait to see this group play. And so mm. that's, that's another, um, just exciting thing that that we haven't had for a couple of years. I mean, of course, you and I and others like watching every game. You know, we love this team, but it's like, man, now we just can't wait. So I'm I'm yeah. already looking forward to what they can do <laughs> against uh, Portland Friday and and some other uh, good teams coming up. And Halliburton even mentioned as well. He's like, yeah, we can we can beat anybody on any given night. That's the thing, and they're going to have a good chance to get some revenge against the Blazers after losing to them on the road. Now, they were shorthanded in that game. I don't believe Tyrese Halliburton played, but um, it'll be a good opportunity for them to get back on the winning track here as uh, we keep rolling with the month of January. But We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wanted to get into this next here, Tyler, and I think it's a very interesting conversation. There's been some rumblings now at the Toronto Raptors struggling a little bit that, you know, teams have been calling about Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and there was a report, I believe it was Wednesday or Tuesday, that said it's going to be a very steep asking price for those two players, and the Pacers desperately need players that fit the bill of what they bring. Wings, wings, and wings with length defensive presence, you know, really good forwards. I mean, they would pretty much fit in on any team, right? That's how good these two players are. So I was curious your thoughts on what do you think it would take for the Pacers to have to give up to acquire one of these guys? 
It would take a lot. Um, <laughs> it is, and not just from that report. I mean, obviously these are really good players that, um, you know, they don't just grow on trees and it's like, it's, it's very easy to play 2k and, and make, you know, trade offers and, or go to certain websites and plug and play and, and think, Oh, this would be really good for them. But if you're being realistic, uh, it is, these are very, very good players um, that there's probably 10, 12, 15 teams that are interested in. So you're going to have to not only give up a lot on your side, but you're going to have to beat other offers from these other squads. Um, right. To me, OG would be the absolute perfect fit for this current team. I know a lot of people say the Pacers could have had him if they drafted him, which is true. However, you know, a lot of other scenarios of this roster would not have played out probably if they had OG. So, um, you know, there's there's a good chance the whole thing would look a lot different. So, but I think perfect fit for this current team, but unfortunately what they'd have to give up to get it alters quite a bit. It's something I would still look into. I'm absolutely, I'd be on the phone every day. I mean, I, I see some uh, some trades that float around out there. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I would do that one. I would do that one. <laughs> um, I saw a stat yesterday that, uh, players are only shooting 21% in ISO against OG. Wow. And he's in the 99 percentile on defending the toughest matchups on a nightly basis. So, yeah. Obviously, the uh, <laughs> the contractual situation, you know, just another season and a half, um, it's going to take a lot to get him. So, I don't yeah. know. I think, I think as a starter, I mean, Miles Turner, the whole situation with him, um, it's still up in the air. I mean, there's, there's more hope for a lot of people and maybe miles himself that the Pacers could possibly work something out. But if I'm the Pacers, I'm trying to get that done quickly because otherwise, if you're still really far apart with miles trading him to get a stud back, like OG would make it a lot easier for a fan base to kind of understand it. Mm -hmm. than say you're going to trade miles for, you know, picks that are five, six, seven years away. You know, that, that'd be a tougher pill to swallow for, you know, the way things currently are. So but I don't know, Turner, Nimhard, uh, a first, a second, um, maybe, maybe even more than that is yeah. probably probably what you're looking at. And that's tough. Yeah, it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. And I mean, honestly, I, I think one thing too is like, is Miles got that much value in a trade? I understand that he brings a lot of great things to the table for the Raptors, but they gotta be willing to pay him. And they gotta be willing to know that he's going to accept an extension or agree to an extension with them before they make that deal. Because if they were to make that deal and not knowing what he's going to be, well, I don't think they're going anywhere this season. So having miles for the rest of this year and that's it. And then you're talking about Andrew Nimhard and a, and a pick or two. I don't know if that's enough. And so I was curious because I love hearing what Pacer fans have to say, but I know that we all have rose colored glasses when it comes to how we view our players and how we view other teams valuing their players. So, I did ask a Raptors guy and an NBA guy off the record. I'm not going to say who they are, but I said, okay, lots of reports or rumblings going around about the Raptors and their and their tough season. What would it take for the Pacers to get Pascal or OG Ananobi? And the Raptors person responded, um, it'd probably take a sizable amount of picks and young guys or rotation pieces. Like the Blazers offer that's been kicked around is a package around Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. Hmm. Pascal would probably be a much larger deal, though, compared to OG. So he was talking about even for OG and Anobi for the Blazers, it would cost them Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. To me, I don't think unless the pace, right? No, he didn't say picks involved. He just okay. said those two players. So which is two starter level players, right? 
And well, Sharp's not starting, I don't think. It's coming off the bench, but he's a young rookie on a rookie deal. To me, I'm like, okay, that's very interesting, right? You know, like mm-hmm. what, what what are we thinking here? So I said, um, you know, well, let's talk about it a little bit more. Um, he said, I, I, I let me read this real quickly. I said, Yeah, I can't see Indy getting rid of Mather and Halliburton or Nimhart. I think they would do something around maybe like you said, Duarte Miles, maybe Ijax if they feel like he's available and picks. I said, I'm just not sure how many picks plus young players or vets it would take to get a deal done. He said, yeah, on the other end, I doubt the Raptors would do the deal for anything that didn't include one or both of Matherin and Nimhard. And then he said for Pascal, at least. So now you're talking about trade Matherin, which I think is just crazy. And I just said, I think Matherin's off the table. I said, so what's your best guess for a trade package that might entice Toronto for OG? He said, probably Matherin salary and a pick if he's being realistic. That to me just feels like it's off the table. There's no way I'm trading a guy that's on his rookie contract that has seven, eight, nine years maybe of team control for a guy that, like you said, has a year and a half. Yeah. Anything for, uh, you know, when Mather's name is even brought up, you know, KP is probably politely saying no thanks and hanging up the phone. Um, yeah. I, I don't see it. I mean, it's, it's fun to speculate and talk about. I know a lot of people want to throw Duarte's name out there. He's, he's a solid piece, but he's not really going to move the needle for, you know, pretty close to star caliber players that we're talking about. So Mm -hmm. um, I also, Kevin Pritchard told us before the year that he said, I'd like, he said, we've got a lot of picks. I'd like to have about 10 more, I think was his words. (laughs) So I, I I could see the Pacers trading one or like future picks. Yeah. But they're going to try to hang on to as many as they can. Um, not just to pick themselves, but uh, for for better deals that come their way. But yeah, I'm not seeing either one of these guys that are signed. You know, you have them under control for sure just through next year. Would I feel differently if there was a conversation of an extension? I would, just in terms of the picks, but still probably not for Ben Matherin. Like, I I hope I'm not reading too much into what I kind of see with Matherin, but I kind of feel like this is a star in the making. I feel like he is mm-hmm. a guy who like, there's so many players in the NBA right now that I feel like Matherin is better than what they were as a rookie. Like a 20, 20 year old rookie is better than a lot of players that are now stars at that age. And when you factor in his work ethic um, and again, he's 20 and his, uh, the way he's already growing, um, you know, development of players is not always linear, but I feel like he's a guy that is a star in the making and, and you, you own, you know, own his rights for years and years and years. So Mm -hmm. to me, I wouldn't even really consider him if there was an extension involved. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even thinking about trading Benedict Mather. And I think that's just like laughing the phone up. I mean, this guy shouldn't be going anywhere. I can understand, like, you know, maybe you would have said the same thing about Duarte last year, but, I mean, I think we've seen so much more from Matherin this year than we saw from Duarte last year, even though Duarte had some special moments. So I agree with you there. I will I will say what I, I – my conversation I had with the NBA guy was a little bit more, like, you know, not looking at it from a Pacers lens or the Raptors lens, but kind of looking at it from both sides. And so the person who responded to this said, assuming Matherin isn't involved, I think you're looking at two – good first and then either a quality young player or another non-crappy but still protected first so you're looking at probably three first round picks if you don't include Matherin for OG and Anobi which seems 
like a lot to me, especially for a guy like you said, it's only got a year and a half left. So that to me is interesting. And, you know, I said that basically the, the Raptors guy I talked to said that Mather have to be involved. And I said, I just don't think that deal gets done because I don't think the Pacers would trade Mather. And he said, I would agree with both of you. Mather is probably a deal breaker for both sides. So these two teams feel like a bad match, but something like two unprotected first and another asset is at least a reasonable discussing point and or discussion point. And I think that's kind of where it's interesting to me because yes, you probably get them talking because you have these picks and this is where, for example, if the Pacers had made the Lakers trade and had those two additional first, that's where maybe one of those picks comes into play or both those picks come into play to get you a guy like this. And that's why I think the Pacers might have been enticed by both those picks if they had been on the table, as well as you know not being as good this year to get a better pick in this year's draft. But I just think, Tyler, at the end of the day, it's just like, like this NBA reporter said or this NBA guy said, these two teams just don't seem like a good match because unfortunately there's probably other teams out there that can give up more in a trade than what the Pacers can give up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's really just not the time for the Pacers, I think, to make this big splash. Now you could argue that, and I even said it, that OG would be a perfect fit. Um, But I mean, I'm talking if you don't lose anybody on the current team and add an OG and an OB, then, then you're talking about a team that can make some noise in the playoffs but I think you know you gotta you gotta stick to the the long term plan. Um, both Pritchard, Carlisle, everybody talking about um, you know the the years in advance that we're looking for. So if they were like third or fourth in the East and they look like they were one piece away, I think you know Pritchard has shown in the past to be aggressive, and maybe that would be the time to do it. Um, I think this year, if they are buyers, if they become buyers, it's going to be more of a you know trade one of their first, not their pick, but, you know, Cleveland or Boston, maybe trade one of those or a second or a future pick to maybe bring in a veteran and something like that. I don't think they're going to make the big splash as much as we would like to, uh, as much as fans would like that. Um, and, you know, when you see OG talking to Halliburton, uh, whispering to him, you <laughs> you love to dream on it, but um, I just don't think they're going to make a huge splash this year. Yeah, I think the best approach probably is to wait until the summer to make some more moves. They're going to have all that cap space. Who knows who's going to become available in the summer. At the trade deadline, we rarely see stars moved. We saw some big movement last year with Halliburton, Sabonis, James Harden. I doubt we're going to see that crazy of one this year because it feels like there's way more parity amongst the league than there was last year as well, too. So I agree with you. I think being buyers right now could be a little short-sighted for what the big goal is here, Tyler. And it's not a bad thing, but you know, you, you got to look at this Turner thing, I think, there's a, I think there was somebody that put an article out today. Matt Moore might have said something from Action Network that the Pacers will move Turner if he doesn't agree to an extension by the deadline, which I think everybody kind of expects that. But at the same time, it feels like Turner makes a ton of sense for this team. I think he's talked happily about playing with the Pacers, this version of the Pacers. So it does make a lot of sense why they would try to come to an agreement. But, you know... From what I've heard offline, the money could be the problem here with what Turner thinks he's worth and what the Pacers think he's worth. And do the Pacers want to invest that much money into a guy that potentially, you know, doesn't uh, that that isn't going to reach a certain level, but at the same time hinders what they could do in free agency and in the trade market if you lock him up to a ton of money. So overall, I'm just kind of sitting wait mode, but it is nice to think about Pascal and OG as players on this team. But I think 
Um, if they're going to do something on like the margins or, or something that's a little bit like lesser than that, then they probably could find somebody out there to help them this season, but it probably wouldn't have to be uh, as heavy as a price as those two guys are because there's there's veteran guys out there, I think, that could be available. We'll probably do a podcast about that later this month, but definitely guys out there that could be had, in my opinion, for much less than what you know the OG asking price would be. Yeah, and again, if we're playing 2K, I would get both of them. I would trade Goga <laughs> and you know the the rights have the, the the rights to Tyler Hansborough when he comes back and uh, <laughs> future future third round pick and bring them both on. But obviously, yeah. it's not that easy. Um, I, I'm really intrigued too to see what ends up happening with Miles Turner because I I think his demeanor is changed uh, from if you think of like media day when he's like I'm only going to talk about this once. Right now, I'm a Pacer to now. Like even the way he interacts with fans, the things that he posts, things that he tweets, um, it seems to be, you know, Halliburton said he's he's finally having fun playing the game again. And I'm really intrigued by that report by The Athletic that the Pacers could use their cap space to give him a big raise this year, which could then make the AAV maybe closer to their level for, you know, a four or five year extension if they could kind of meet in the middle a little bit more. So yeah. that is your your avenue to maybe making it work, but it is going to be rough if they can't come to an agreement and and they end up still having to to ship him out. Yeah, and I think a big thing that people need to realize too, in, in terms of fans and and how that would all work with that extra nineteen million dollars, right, for that contract extension that they could give him at this renegotiation thing, they have until March to do that. So, if they decide that they want to stay pat and the trade deadline passes, then they could make that play and give that to him for the next three months because. They're going to have to use that cap space anyway, right? Or, or at least they have to reach the, the cap floor at some point. And that would allow them to let Miles play the next three months with that extra $19 million for this season, like a bonus type thing, and then get him at a really nice price moving forward. So that is one that is one thing they have that they could do. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money to give a guy. At the at, even if it's a even if it's a negotiation type of thing for future for future contracts, I mean, you have to just think about it from this perspective, Tyler. In my opinion, he's a center. Centers seem to be devalued. He's a center that really does a lot of great things in the modern NBA, but how much is too much? And I don't know if you have like an estimated price on how much you'd be willing to pay him if they don't do this nineteen million dollar bonus type thing, but if it was just like an average average annual salary what would you think would be a good number for him per year? I think he's probably worth in the 20 to low 20s mm -hmm. per year. Um, I will say that every team is, since they are structured differently, the fact that the Pacers' top couple players are still a few years away from you know getting big raises – um, you could use the money that you do have to fill a position that typically is not, you know, not always smart to give him a bunch of money too. But I just think of the alternative. I know there's a lot of risk to give him money with the uh, injury risk and everything like that, but there's also risk in losing him. You know, the, the chemistry they're building, um, the defense that he brings, you know, things are working out with him as a lone five. There'd be risk either way. So to me, if they're able, you know, maybe you give him that, uh, that money later this year, and then maybe you're able to come closer to the 23-24. I think I, I heard a rumor that he wants 25. Um, I was looking that up the other day too, and he would still be like still like 50th or lower 
as far as a per year average uh, annual salary, by the time that contract is up, he'd probably be more like in the 60, 70 or 80 range, the way contracts mm-hmm. are going. So you got to weigh all those factors. Um, my hope is that that little bonus of this year would, would get closer to, you know, maybe meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he would take 22, 23 million over four or five years. I could be way off, but um, <laughs> maybe, maybe that bonus would be enough uh, to kind of meet in the middle there. Yeah. The number that I heard was over 25 million per year is what he's looking for, which I just, you know, some people were arguing with me saying he deserves a max because of the numbers he's putting up uh, yeah. during November compared to eight. And if we were willing to give eight in the max and we should have given Turner the max, but I don't agree with that. But I, I, I do think that having Turner back on this team and, and being a part of this team moving forward would be huge. I think he has the chemistry down already. He understands how they want to play. He fits in with how they want to play. He's knock on wood, stayed healthy, right? That's just the big thing here. It's like, can we trust Miles to stay healthy? And I think the Pacers also really like both the bigs they have, and they they almost have too many good bigs that they can't really develop. Jay, uh, a guy like Isaiah Jackson, because Jalen Smith is playing the backup center now, so you know it, it's a very tough call. And I I would hate to be Chad Buchanan, Kevin Pritchard in that front office to break this team up, but at the end of the day, they got to do what's best for the franchise moving forward. And I'm, I think Turner is the right center for this team moving forward, but at what cost? I think, you know, anything over 25 to me seems a little bit too steep of a price. And they have to consider that they're going to have to max Tyrese Halliburton here soon. They're going to have a bunch of the guys that are from that draft class. Uh, you know, their contracts will be coming up soon as well as, you know, and Aaron Neesmith, I know they got Jalen Smith on that nice deal. They got him on, but it just feels like this is, do you want to invest all your money in Miles and Halliburton's max and not have a lot of space elsewhere? I don't know if that's the right move. Yeah, it's tough. That's why they get the big bucks to to make those decisions. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, last few years they've really done a good job of of finding good young talent. And so, if that continues, you know that's going to be huge to uh, kind of make up for for bigger contracts. But this is precisely you know the reason for my my preseason tweet about you know, wanting to see the team play it out, you know, it wasn't for a you know deep playoff run. It was more about, I didn't personally like the offer, you know, Westbrook and, and picks that are, you know, years and years away, you know, a couple of presidents away from uh, <laughs> coming to fruition. Yeah. I know there's, I know they're still valuable, but I just thought that Turner and healed would be worth more um, if they could play it out. And so, now I think they are, but now it's almost like they've played themselves into, are these guys part of the future? And that's why it's going to be really interesting, not only the 21 and 18 start, but to really figure out how these pieces fit. And it's a much different and better problem to have than we thought. For sure. So, I mean, this is going to be a talking point for the next month. I'm just kind of excited to see what happens. I just want an answer at this point. I'm just tired of talking about the hypotheticals and stuff like that, but with that being said, Tyler, I want to thank you so much for coming on, giving us your insight, and really just having some fun talking about this team and maybe some players that they could go after and you know thinking about it. But ultimately, you know, we are where we are. So let the people know where they can find you at on social media. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Smith underscore ISL. Also want to give a quick plug to uh the shirts, uh yeah. obvious shirts, which if you've any uh Cub fans out there would know obvious shirts, uh that brand. Um, they're really famous for for that team, but now they've expanded and uh, uh, partnering with them for a lot of indie sport shirt collections. So like a boom baby shirt, the the uh, O's in the middle or Matherin's number or uh, 
Tyrese Halliburton is good at basketball, or <laughs> there's a lot of shirts that are Pacers, IU, Purdue, and Colts uh, related. So you can find them on my Twitter link tree as well if you want to check those out. Yeah, for sure. I got uh, I got the hookup here with Tyler. I got the Halliburton plus Matherin equals 100 shirt. And I also got the Boom Baby shirt with the, with the Matherin numbers for the zero. So I think that's pretty awesome. And the shirts are really comfortable. Um, it's They're like so soft, it's almost like you can fall asleep in them. That's just how comfortable they are. So definitely agree there. But yeah, guys, you can check us out on Twitter at Sitting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Fachi's at underscore FACCI. You can find us on Facebook and TikTok at setting the pace we're on instagram at pacers talk and on youtube at setting the pace a pacers podcast make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel and i try to get a fan of the week on this week but the two people i reached out to weren't able to do it this week so i'm gonna start that up next week i've already got one of those fans scheduled so we will have our fan of the week segment starting back up next week but with that being said tyler you know how we end this show if you're excited to be a pacer fan then hit me with those three words shout out to fachi let's go pacers Going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop, smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.